Return to the Word is made possible by faithful supporters like you. Find out more at returntotheword.com. Welcome to another edition of Return to the Word Radio with Bible teacher Mark Fontecchio. Advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now with today's message, here is our teacher. One more study in the fifth chapter of the Gospel of John. Now this is one of these texts where there is more going on in the passage than you think at first. We pick it up, John 5 with verse 31. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than John's. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent him you do not believe. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive." How can you believe who receive honor from another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Imagine, if you would, that you were out shopping one day and someone came up to you and said that whatever it was that you wanted to buy in the store, it was on them. They would pay for it. Well, this actually happened at a Burlington coat factory by Chicago. A lady pulled up to the store in a long black Hummer limousine. She walked inside and stood next to the register as people came up to the line to check out. She said, I've got it. You can have anything you want and I'll pay for it. She said that she had just won half a million dollars in the lottery and was going to give it all away. Well, you can just imagine what happened. People got on their cell phones and called everybody they knew. The place was packed within just a few minutes. People loaded up everything they could possibly carry and lined up waiting for the giveaway. Some people just bypassed the lines and went right up to the woman. They started asking her for rent money and all kinds of things. And this woman actually started writing the people checks. She gave her credit card to the cashier to pay for the clothes. And it only took just a few minutes and her credit card was maxed out at $5,000. When that happened, she told the people that she was going to go to the bank and get some more money for them. 
She rode away in her limo and never came back. Why didn't she come back? Because she was a fraud. Her family testified that she had been mentally ill and never had any money in the first place. She didn't win the lottery. She was just sick. Someone with a lot of problems who was giving away something she didn't even have. And when all the people who had packed that store found out, they rioted. They destroyed the store because they had believed a lie. Out of their greed, they placed their trust in someone who was not worthy of that trust. They had believed the claims of a liar. Over our past several studies in John, we have been looking at a list of the claims of Christ here in the fifth chapter of the Gospel of John. And the fundamental question for the Jews, was this man Jesus worthy of their trust? Was this man Jesus who he claimed to be? Or was he just a lunatic who needed to be dismissed? Counterfeits and frauds were just as common then as they are today. Notice how Jesus addressed this in our text. Verses 31 and 32 record, If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. Much of the focus in the verses leading up to our passage has been on the truth that the Son can do nothing of himself. That is true even when the Son bears witness. If it was just Jesus alone bearing witness, his witness would not be considered true. Under Jewish law, you needed more than just your own testimony in a court of law. You had to have another witness. Deuteronomy 19 taught them that the testimony of two men is true. Remember, Jesus had been claiming to be the Son of God. Jesus had been claiming that he is God. Jesus had claimed that he had the authority to give life and to be the judge of men. But listen, if the only evidence that he had, if the only evidence there was to back up all these claims he had made was his witness and only his witness. Well, then his witness must be false. What else could it be? He had already testified that everything he says and does, which would include his witness, is in perfect obedience to the Father. He was sent by the Father to teach the words of the Father, to do the works of the Father. He was appointed to be the judge of men by the Father. So if Jesus did not have the witness of the Father, then his own witness, it must not be true. But in perfect obedience to the Father, the witness of the Son is the witness of the Father. And then we turn our attention to verse 32. There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. Think about the reason for verse 32. Jesus was pointing out that he was not self-appointed. There is another who bears witness of him. Everything throughout this text has been about this relationship between God the Son and God the Father. So the first assumption is often that this is also about the Father here in verse 32. The word for another literally means another of the same kind, meaning that this witness must be another person of the Godhead. So the reference has to be either to God the Father or God the Spirit. Verse 32 then cannot be speaking of John the Baptist. That will come in verse 33. I go back and forth on whether Christ was referring to the Father or the Spirit in verse 32. You wrestle with it for yourself, but here's where I lean. 
Down in verse 37, it will be the witness of the Father where it records, and the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. Also keep in mind that Jesus had been referring all along to the Father. And then how does he begin this statement in verse 32? There is another who bears witness of me. There is another. It could be a reference to someone other than the Father, which would be a reference to the Spirit of God. If it is, this should remind us of other statements such as John 14, 16, and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. Or John 15, 26, where Jesus said, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will testify of me. Listen to John 16, verse 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. And don't miss this next part. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. The role of the Spirit of God is to testify of Christ. He is a witness of the Son. The word know in verse 32 of John 5, where Jesus testified, and I know, the wording is not knowledge that is based on experience. The wording is absolute sovereign knowledge because of who he is. Whether he had the Father or the Spirit in mind, you wrestle with it, but Jesus testified that the witness is true. Verses 33 and 34. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. Think back to chapter 1. Verse 7 of chapter 1 recorded, referring to John the Baptist, this man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. John the Baptist had a tremendous impact on the Hebrew people. Matthew 21, it records that John was considered by the people to be a prophet of God. The people had heard the message from John that the king was coming. Thousands of people responded. Excitement was building among the people. Remember that in chapter 1, we read that the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? This is why. Jesus testified, you sent to John. He reminded them that they sought out John. John witnessed to them. John the Baptist told them that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist bore witness to the truth that the Lord Jesus Christ was the appointed sacrifice who would offer himself up for our sin. John the Baptist even testified in verse 34 of chapter 1 that Jesus is the Son of God. The Jewish leaders had sent priests and Levites to John the Baptist, and John had already witnessed to them concerning the Christ. Now, everything that John the Baptist had said about Christ was true. But notice what Jesus said, Yet I do not receive testimony from man. What this means is that even though John the Baptist was a powerful witness for Christ, Jesus did not depend on the witness of John to establish who he is. The entire reason that Jesus even mentioned John's name was not for himself. It was so that they might be saved. People are saved by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. John's testimony was to help them believe. That was the purpose. Verses 35 and 36. 
He was the burning and shining lamp, and you are willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than John's, for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. John the Baptist was not the true light. John chapter 1 teaches there was a man sent from God. His name was John. This one came as a witness to bear witness concerning the light so that all might believe through him. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Jesus testifies here in John 5 that John was a burning and shining light. There seems to be a reference to Psalm 132, speaking of Zion. Listen to verse 17 of that psalm. There I will make the horn of David grow. I will prepare a lamp for my anointed. Listen to that last part again. I will prepare a lamp for my anointed. The teaching was not that John was the light, but rather John was a lamp that burned and gave light. If you look at the word used here in verse 35 for the word burning, the Greek literally translates ignited. Think of this, testifying that John's light, his witness came from God. He was the ignited and shining lamp from God. And the scriptures could not be more deliberate on this point that for a time, the Hebrew people, they did rejoice in his light. They rejoiced in his testimony that the Messiah had come. But the somber truth of scripture was that they only rejoiced for a time. And then that lamp was put out, extinguished. Herod, by this time, had killed John the Baptist. The text, it hints at this, that John was the burning lamp in the past. But that is not why the Jewish leaders turned away from the teaching of John. They turned away from John because the excitement of the coming Messiah had faded because Jesus did not fit in with what they were looking for in a Messiah. Remember, they wanted a ruler. They wanted a militant Messiah. And over in Matthew 11, the Lord testified, Truly I say to you, among those who have been born of women, there has not risen a greater one than John the Baptist. John was the first prophet in over 400 years for Israel. But even his witness could not begin to compare to the greater witness of God the Father. The works that the Father had given to Jesus to finish testified that the Father had sent him. Now, what type of works are we talking about? The ministry of Jesus, the signs and wonders, the work of redemption accomplished on the cross, and the exaltation of the Lamb of God. Don't forget about the Old Testament predictions about the works of the coming Christ. Isaiah 35, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer. John the Baptist performed no signs. That was the work of Christ. The works that Jesus accomplished authenticated his claim to be God the Son sent by the Father. Verses 37 and 38. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. But you do not have his word abiding in you, because whom he sent, him you do not believe. The first part of verse 37, in the Father himself who sent me has testified of me, this points back to the relationship of the Father and the Son. The Father had sent the Son, and this was actually another proof that the Son was exactly who he claimed to be. 
We know from the gospel records that the witness of the Father was on display at the baptism of his Son. Matthew 3.17 records, And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. On the Mount of Transfiguration, again we see the witness of the Father. Matthew 17, verse 5, While he yet spoke, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And again, we see the witness of the Father in John chapter 12, where the Lord Jesus had said, Father, glorify your name. And then the text records, then there came a voice from the heavens saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Three times the Father testified of his Son. Three times the voice of the Father was heard from heaven. And yet, these Jews who professed to believe in God as their Father in heaven did not. They did not hear his voice because in order to recognize the voice of the Father, the heart of man needs to be opened. The disciples heard it. The disciples heard the voice of the Father. But these men with hardened hearts, these legalistic men never heard the voice of the Father. And that is what Jesus told them in verse 37. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. It reminds me a little bit of Exodus 20, where the people had no desire to hear the voice of God. They only wanted to hear from Moses. But notice this statement tucked into verse 37. Jesus told them, nor had they seen his form. Exodus 33, verse 20, it teaches that God said to Moses, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. The apostle Paul wrote of this in 1 Timothy 6 whom no man has seen or can see. To see Jesus was to see the Father. God the Son declared God the Father to the people. But if you don't see the identity of Christ and have faith in him, if you are blind to Christ, then you're blind to his revelation of the Father. Then take another look at verse 38 in John. This is not a statement you want to hear from the Lord. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he has sent. Remember when the Lord spoke to Joshua in Joshua chapter one, after Moses had died? Listen to what he told Joshua in verse eight. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it by day and by night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous and then you shall act wisely. Or how about the words of the psalmist in Psalm 119? With what shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. The Jews studied the word, but it was academic. It really wasn't living in them because they didn't really believe it, trust it, or have faith in it. We see this today with the Western church, the religion of men masquerading as the church of Christ. Jesus himself, the living word, he wasn't living in them either. Without faith in Christ, there is no life in the Son. 
There was nine centuries of prophecies in the Old Testament, and Christ fulfilled them precisely. He was born when predicted, born when it was foretold, and yet the scribes and the Jewish men who dedicated their lives to the scriptures, the experts, they were so smug, complacent, and so stuck on their traditions that their understanding of God, it got distorted, it got twisted. They thought they understood the word of God, but they were far from it because they did not understand the truth of God embodied in Christ. If they would have understood the prophets, they would have recognized Jesus. They believed that if they kept the finest points of the law, that this would usher in the Messiah. He was standing there, and their legalistic approach to the scriptures had led to a lack of faith in him. Legalism kills faith. Grace ushers in life in Christ. Jesus rebukes them in verses 39 and 40. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. The scribes, the rabbis, they studied the scriptures. Jesus even acknowledged this. This isn't a command to search the scriptures, as the King James would suggest. This is what they were doing. It reads, you search the scriptures. The wording even indicates they were diligent to search the scriptures. The word that is used is of a lion or a dog tracking by scent. They investigated the scriptures, but their method was off. You see, here's what happened. When the Jewish temple was destroyed in 586 B.C., The Jews living in exile, they substituted the studying of the law to replace the worship and sacrifices at the temple. And so they poured over the Old Testament because they believed the very study itself would bring them life. But look again at the second half of verse 39. For in them you think you have eternal life, meaning they were hoping to find acceptance with God. This was their motivation. You see, we know that some of the Jewish rabbis taught in that day that the more you study the law, then you could gain life in the world to come. Instead of seeing the scriptures as pointing to the Messiah and salvation found in him, they saw it as a means to an end. If they could just study them enough and keep all the commandments, it would give them life in the world to come. Rather than reading the scripture as a means to know God, the Jews had made the law into their God. But Jesus comes along and tells these Jewish leaders, studying the law, studying the scriptures, it would do them no good if they failed to understand, if they failed to recognize the true purpose of the word of God. Jesus tells these Jewish leaders that the scriptures that they had been studying, hoping to earn their way to eternal life, the scriptures testified of him. What we call the Old Testament, it points to Christ, his ministry, his truth, his death and resurrection. Paul told Timothy this. Remember, Timothy had been trained up as a young man in the word of God, and Paul told him, and that from a babe you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And Jesus himself would testify that the law, the prophets, the Psalms, they teach of Christ. So what did this mean for the Jews? It means that if the Jews refused to come to Jesus for eternal life, then they were not reading the scriptures as they were intended by God himself to be read. Their study of the scriptures was a waste of time because they were on the wrong path. 
they thought because they had an intellectual knowledge of what they considered to be the truth that they did not need anything more. It's the arrogance of men that perverts and twists the scripture. For these Jews, their love for the world, it testified that the love of the Father, it was not in them. It's not enough to know the word of God. You must know the Son of God himself. To search the scriptures and miss Christ, this is the same tragedy that is playing out before our eyes. Millions of people are doing it today, missing Christ and salvation by faith, even though they read the word of God. The word of God is a signpost pointing people to Christ. But men of every generation, they sit in front of it. They measure it. They study it, admiring the signpost, but failing to get the message of the sign, failing to obey what it says. Do not try to honor the word of God while rejecting the Christ spoken of in his word. Notice again, verse 40, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Let me give you a key to interpreting the Gospels. When Jesus mentioned coming after him, he was talking about discipleship. When he spoke of coming to him, as he did here, he was referring to believing in him for salvation. There was plenty of evidence that the Lord was everything he claimed to be. It was not so much a case of, I cannot believe. It was a case of, I will not believe. If men are lost, it is because they refuse to come to Christ. The will of man is where the battle is fought. Take a look at verses 41 and 42. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. Jesus was not looking for the approval of men, but he knew that the men of religion were more than willing to sacrifice their love for God if they could gain the admiration of the people. And we see the same phenomenon today in the emotion and devotion churches. Run the service and the people on emotion and then give just a little bit of a devotion. This gains the praise of men, but these leaders, these pastors, they have their reward. The word for honor, it means honor or glory. Go back to the original intent, go back to the point that Christ was making. His entire commitment is to please his father, receiving the honor that only the father can give. John 1.14, it records, and the word became flesh and tabernacled among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and of truth. In my own study, I was trying to wrestle with this verse. Because look back at verse 23, at what Christ had said, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And now here in verse 41, Jesus testifies, I do not receive honor from men. I think that part of the teaching is that Christ does not receive the honor of those who are not reconciled to him. Christ does not receive the honor of those who are only looking out for their own glory. Isn't this the point of verse 42? But I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. God the Son knew them. He knew that they were men who did not truly love God. It is not that God did not love them, John 3, 16. It is that they did not have love for God. They were men who loved darkness rather than light. He knew their thoughts. He knew their hearts. He could read the state of their souls. These men had preconceived ideas about the Messiah, what he would be like, what he would say and do. 
They wanted a Messiah who would smash the power of Rome, make Jerusalem the capital of a new world empire, and give them authority over the nations. But Jesus came, telling them to forgive their enemies, go the second mile, love and pray for those who spitefully use them. Jesus came and offered the cross. What kind of Messiah was that? When Jesus did not meet their expectations, they despised him. But whether the Jews honored him or not, it did not change who Christ is and the mission that he came with. Our last few verses move quickly. Verses 43 and 44. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? The first part of verse 43 is simply building off of what we read before. Jesus knew the Hebrew people longed for their Messiah, but Jesus had come in the Father's name, and by and large, the Jews rejected him. Jesus had come with the authority of the Father. Had the Jews truly loved God, they would not have failed to love the Father's Son. But men who reject the Messiah will follow the counterfeits. Because to refuse the truth is to embrace a lie. Those who reject Christ prefer men who do not come in the Father's name. They prefer men who come in their own name. And of course, we know from the pages of history that there was a list of men, false Christs, false messiahs that came on the scene. By one count, there were as many as 63 different men who claimed to be the Messiah. They drew attention to themselves and these false messiahs. They led thousands of people astray. But there will be one man who will come in his own name like no other person in history, the Antichrist. 2 Thessalonians 2 teaches, Let not anyone deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come unless there first comes a falling away, and the man of sin shall be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, setting himself forth that he is God. Men will receive him. They will accept his doctrine and his works. A little further down in the passage, Paul records in 2 Thessalonians, whose coming is according to the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceit of unrighteousness in those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so that they might be saved. The day is coming when the Jewish nation, along with the men and women of this world, they will wholeheartedly endorse the coming Antichrist, the one who comes in his own name. And it isn't that hard to see some of this coming together, is it? The reason men tend to follow these false Christs is given to us in verse 44. It is because they love the praise of men. They would rather have the praise of men right now than to be obedient to Christ. Be obedient to his word and receive the honor that comes from God alone. The apostle John summed up the situation of most of the Jews in chapter 12 when he wrote, for they love the glory of men more than the glory of God. If you ever wonder why it is that pastors and leaders fall into the doctrines that are not of Christ, This is one reason why. They would rather have the praise of men right now and gain a big crowd than to be found faithful to the Savior because the word of God and the gospel of Christ, it brings division. Let's grab our last three verses again. Verse 45. Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. 
For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Jesus returns to their certain judgment for rejecting him. And notice what he did. He brought Moses. He brought Moses into the picture. The only person that the Jews respected more than Moses was Abraham. But what these Jews failed to grasp was that if they looked honestly at the scriptures, they were guilty of breaking the laws of Moses. Think of all the typology that's recorded in the first five books of the Old Testament. The offering of Isaac, the ladder of Jacob's dream, the Passover lamb, the serpent on the pole, it all pointed to Jesus the Christ. And every Jew of that day knew by heart Deuteronomy 18 verse 15 which says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. They knew this prophecy by heart, and they knew verse 18 of that same passage, which reads, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Moses repeatedly wrote of Jesus, but the Jews, they missed it because they put their hope in Moses, not in the one that Moses wrote about. If they would have recognized the significance of the words of Moses and trusted those words, they would have believed in Christ. To comprehend and to trust one was to believe the other. To reject one was to reject the other. They read the words of Moses, but the significance of these words they did not believe, and it meant a lack of faith in the Messiah. The idea of believing the writings of Moses, it includes the right understanding, rightly dividing the word. And it includes trust, faith in those teachings. The Jews were proud of their traditions and their knowledge of Scripture, but according to Jesus, they did not truly believe Moses. Let this passage be a warning to those who profess to follow Christ, but deny the creation account, or they deny the record of the flood. The Lord Jesus, God the Son, stood firmly behind the words of Moses as the very words of God. We know that some of the Jews of that day had the same type of error that the Roman Catholic Church has today. Some Jews believed that Moses continued to be their intercessor with God, praying for them in heaven just as Moses had done, interceding for them, praying for them when he was on earth. Exodus 32 comes to mind. When Moses, he pleaded with the people to forgive the sins of the people when they had made the golden calf. But Jesus told them, don't expect Moses to be your intercessor. For these Jews, their case was desperate because Moses, the great intercessor of the Old Testament, now stood as their great accuser. It was not Jesus who needed to defend himself for healing the man on the Sabbath. It was the Jewish leaders who would find themselves on trial. Peter Torgeson was a missionary to China with the China Inland Mission. When Peter was 18, he heard the call to evangelize China. That day, he not only emptied his wallet into the collection plate, but included a small note with the words, and my life. Eight years later, In 1918, he arrived in China. He was married in 1923. During World War II, Peter and his family opened up their home and the church building where he served to shelter up to 1,000 refugees. Peter died. He was killed by a Japanese bombing raid. But the story doesn't end there. His daughter, Kari, 
was taken to an internment camp, and it was there that she discovered a truth that changed her life. In this internment camp in China, Kari was never referred to by name. She was just number 16. She was one of the many people from the West who sought some sort of identity and comfort behind the walls and the electric fence that separated them from the outside world. There were other missionary kids in the same camp, and they often managed to get together for a few moments of prayer, prayer for freedom. But as time passed, Kari began to feel uneasy about these times of prayer. Freedom was becoming the ultimate goal in life, and God seemed to become less and less important, except for his answer to their prayers for freedom. Kari began to pray about it. Kari still had access to her Bible, so she began to search the scriptures. She then testified that she came to a new outlook, a new understanding of her situation. You see, she no longer had the desire to join the others in their prayers for freedom because the Lord had brought her to a place where she was able to pray, Lord, I am willing to stay in this prison for the rest of my life. If only I may know you. She said that it was at that moment that she truly became free. Listen, here is the trap. We look at what is going on in our lives and sometimes we may feel desperate. We feel like there is no hope, so we begin to pray. Praying that God will deliver us from the situation that we face. Praying that God will help us in our time of need. But over time, our focus shifts because we begin to focus only on our problems and not on our relationship with Christ. This is exactly what happened to the Jews. They wanted to be a free people. They wanted to restore their nation. They were so desperate that they were willing to follow anyone that would promise they could get the Roman government out of their land. Over a million Jews lost their lives in 70 AD. When the Roman government ended their rebellion, 97,000 Jews were taken as slaves. And even the Roman general afterwards refused to accept the traditional wreath of victory because, in his own words, he said, there is no merit in conquering people forsaken by their God. The greater tragedy is that the majority of these men and women, they died eternally separated from Jesus Christ. Rest on the promise of 2 Corinthians 4. Listen to these beautiful words. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Rest on the promise of Christ that if we focus not on our problems, but on Jesus Christ, our relationship with him, we can have his peace and freedom no matter what happens in this world. Jesus himself said in John 14, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Return to the Word is a listener-supported ministry. And truthfully, it is people like you, those who listen each week, that God uses to help us meet the expense of a ministry dedicated to reaching people for the gospel of Christ and the teaching of God's Word. And so I want to take a moment to thank those that support the work, even those that give $5 a month or $10 a month, because those smaller donations, they add up. 
and we thank you because it keeps the programs free of charge so that others may learn of God's amazing grace. If you'd like to help us out, you can find out more at returntotheword.com. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879-259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word.